right, it's Thursday, and you are listening to yet another episode of Days of the New. I'm Kevin, as always, joined by my co-host, Nick. How are we doing today, Nick? Hey, man, I'm doing pretty good. Um, you know, we're finally getting to this episode like three weeks after we promised <laughs> oh, it. Shit. So that's cool. It's Memorial Day weekend in Las Vegas, so it's super crazy busy. Punk rock bowling is going on, but the lineup this year was real boring, so didn't really see fit to go. It's just always like some variation of like no effects and rancid and Bad Religion was playing. I, I wouldn't mind seeing Bad Religion, I guess. Yeah, it's the Let's Book a Sure Thing festival. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Hey, Fat Mike, who do you got? All right, cool. Yeah, know. exactly. We do have the Punk Rock Museum now that's opened here in Las Vegas, and I haven't had a chance to get down and to see. Yeah, Fat Mike owns it really? um, from uh, Fat Records and No Effects. Um, but yeah, and like they have a rotating like cast of like punk rock adjacent musicians that you can like go on the tour with. So like, it's like, Oh, here's blue from mast intruder or the <laughs> guitar player from L seven. And like, they will walk you through. I, uh, I was told they have Wesley Willis's keyboard. Suck a vulture's dick. <laughs> exactly. If you don't know who Wesley Willis is, yeah, yeah. Go check that out. I can't wait till they open a new metal museum and like shifty takes you around. Oh and God. Picks your pocket. Where's your ticket? Just punches you in the face. (laughs) Let's get into it. All right, cool. Today, we are here to talk about Tool's sophomore album, Anima. Let's just get this out of the way. Tool is not a new metal band in any sense, but they are one of the few bands who not only directly influenced new metal bands, but were also contemporaries of them. As for you, the listener... I want to do a little visualization exercise right now. Close your eyes and take a trip back to 1996. Now grab your CD binder and flip through it. What's that next to your copy of Life is Peachy and Evil Empire? Fucking anima. Yeah, for sure. It's it's right there. It's right there. Unlike most of our episodes where we list out a bunch of assholes who were in and out of the band before never mentioning them again. The members of Tool are all playing their own crucial role. Without them, Tool wouldn't be Tool. And uh, before we get into a little bit of the backstory, Nick, what is your relationship with this band? It's pretty big. Um, when I first, you know, got into heavy music, you know, my introduction was, you know, realistically Korn's first album, and then yeah. uh, Rage Against the Machine, and like some, some of the industrial side of things. The Crow soundtrack was like my huge introduction to heavy music. But I took myself very seriously. So like Rage Against the Machine and Tool were like huge for me because they, I mean, now I can listen to Tool and and hear the humor, but then I I didn't understand when they were trying to be funny. But no, I I really, really enjoyed Tool. Um, I liked uh, A Perfect Circle a lot, which was Mm -hmm. uh, Maynard from Tool's side project. Um, But Anima, I have listened to more than any album that we've covered on this show, save for the first Rage Against the Machine album, I would say. I would back that statement, yeah. I think it's probably neck and neck with Rage and Korn. Yeah, I, I definitely spun this way more than, because I, I still listen to Tool way after I stopped listening to Korn. That is also true. Just driving, I mean, this this is like the first two years of college for me. I basically only listen to Tool and Rage. And so yeah. maybe some, a little system of a down would sneak in. And then like, at the drive-in came out and changed my life, but I still kind of listened to tool for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going back and listening to this, like I still remember like, it's such an interesting record and it's so like multifaceted and has so much going on in the mix that like, I still remembered like, Oh, here comes that cool little cymbal splash or like, yeah, Oh, yeah. there's a really cool double bass part about to come up. And like, I remembered all those details cause I listened to this so much to the point that like, I, 
I had this, what fucking car did I drive? It was a Mercury Topaz. (laughs) I drove my grandma, after my grandma died, like I got her car a few years later. It was a 78 Ford Fairmont and it threw a rod in the engine. It was fucked. And like, I needed a car. I still lived at my parents' house. I was 19 or 18. Mm -hmm. And my dad helped me get, like he knew somebody that, who has a reliable car for sale? So I got like this 1993 Mercury Topaz. It was like a Ford (laughs) Tempo. I remember like Ford and Mercury made the same cars. It was one of those cars that had, do you remember the automatic seatbelts that like you would close the door oh and the seatbelt? Like, yes. Dude, the fucking worst. Had one of those. <laughs> I went to the local record store and I got this big black and white rectangular tool sticker. You know the one. I know and I the stuck one. it right in the middle of the back windshield, completely impeding my view. But like, <laughs> I wanted everybody to fucking know that like a tool fan drives this Topaz. I really do think that we need to uh, make stickers now that say a tool fan drives this Mercury Topaz. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, we'll call the guys over at Meth Syndicate and see if they'll, yeah, uh, they'll exactly. put that one out with us. All right, let's get into the history. Okay. We got a lot of ground to cover. The mythology of tool is like this twisting labyrinth, and it spans across the 80s, and it's a tale of who was roommates with who and what band they played in, uh, where the guitarist makes this introduction to so-and-so. It's all that kind of thing. So I'm going to do my best to give it to you straight, but before I do, I need to state the obvious. By and large, hardcore Tool fans are pretty insufferable. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you want to know my, my theory of their band name? Uh, please. I think that they knew that their fans were just huge walking dildos. <laughs> To the point when, like, one of the most popular tool shirts was, like, a wrench with two fucking lugs. So it looked like a dick, but it was a wrench. The majority of the people that listen to this show are, like, between the ages of 35 and, like, 45. Like, I see the demographics. You have all been at a party where some guys in, like, well, I mean, they're good, but they're not as good as Tool. Oh, my God. Tool fans were, like, the new Rush fans. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and like they'll be like, well, I mean, the drums are fine, but Danny Carey can play circles around that guy. And like, I think that they were like, fuck it. Our fans are the worst. They named themselves Tool, and they just put Tool on people's T-shirts. So everybody (laughs) knew this. Here comes a fucking Tool over here. Yep, yep. Worst. Yeah, exactly. So, And I was one for a minute, re- real briefly, but like... We've all been there. But like, when I get a minute detail wrong here or there, just keep it to yourself, you fucking neckbeard. You goddamn nerds. <laughs> we should call this episode, well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so for as much as the album we're here to talk about today derides Los Angeles, this is where Tool got its start. In 1990, the members converged in L.A. from their respective parts of the country. Kansas native Danny Carey migrated to L.A. in 1986, where he gigged around and worked a day job in a tape duplication house, back when that was a thing. Adam Jones migrated from Illinois, and of all the members of Tool, I would say he is in a league of his own. This guy is a prodigy. He attended Libertyville High School, where he was classmates with Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine. They were in a band (laughs) together for a while. Oh, hell yeah, they were. Uh, They were both in the drama club, and eventually they did form their own punk band, Electric Sheep, in high school. And they wound up playing a talent show. So here's Tom Morello in 2021 talking with Howard Stern about how that went. We come out like on a riser and we come out and the keyboard player comes in with the wrong chord and the bass player plays the wrong note. And I'm, of course, out of tune because I've never really learned how to tune the guitar and things are going. It's an inauspicious start. 
to my music career. But I do have a bit of a track and field background. And I'm, and it, we're on a riser. And so I'm like, I have to turn, this is going very, very poorly. So when the chorus of the song comes in, I leap off the riser and the <laughs> roof, the roof comes off the fucking auditorium. People go crazy. Like right. we don't sound good, but all of a sudden rock and roll is happening. And then I, I, I sense this and I, you know, right. I smell blood in the water and I start, you know, I start rocking out and people are going nuts and we finish the song and we, destroyed destiny's ass that night wow and i i realized at the end of that show is like this is what i want to do yeah so with no lessons they just crush it and that's the that's the caliber of talent that's at play here i like how uh tom morello has developed a radio voice he really has hasn't he the roof comes off the fucker <laughs> <laughs> so uh tom will show back up later but Adam uh, went on and received a music scholarship to go to college, but chose to go to art school instead. And he attended the Hollywood Makeup Academy, learning traditional makeup before turning his attention to sculpting and stop motion camera work, all of which would become a signature look for Tool's art and music videos. He also did effects for a number of film and TV uh, shows, including commercials for Duracell, which I will now show you. Only Duracell has the Copper Top Battery Tester. So you can be sure your batteries will keep going down the road. Can you imagine, like, the first draft of this where it's like, um, hey, Adam, you know, we got the first cut here and uh, the, the butterfly creature growing a dick out of its head. Uh, I don't know if that's really on brand for, uh, for Duracell. Uh, what else you got? Uh, do you remember those Duracell battery testers? Yeah, hell yeah, I do. For those that don't know, like it was built into the package, like on the outside of the blister pack, and you'd have to pinch the top and the bottom of the battery with all of your 10-year-old might <laughs> yes. to try and make the little line move up to see if there was any juice left in your batteries and just cramp your tiny fingers. Oh, my God, yeah, and it didn't work half the time either. Right, exactly. So then you just fucking lick it. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah this one's got juice. <laughs> it works! <laughs> uh, yeah, so really just a talented, talented guy on so many different levels. Um, Dude, he did fucking Jurassic Park and Terminator 2. Yeah, yeah, he did. I, I, I Just looking at his accolades, it, it goes on and on. And this is before we... Yeah, I mean, like the thing that he's worse at is the guitar part. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was also this guy, Paul Damore, who was the original bassist of the band, and he quit after Undertow, so fuck him, whatever. Yeah, whatever. We'll talk about Undertow maybe one day. Yeah. And finally, we've got Maynard James Keenan. I like how you keep saying Maynard. Maynard? How should I say it's it? It's just Maynard. 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 There's only Maynard. one Y. Maynard. 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 Hey, man. Do you. Do you. We'll just make Maynard. fun of it in the comment section. It's just yeah. Maynard. M-A-N. Main. Main. Yard. No, just Ard. There's, you only, it's, there's not two Ys. It's not M-A-Y-N-Y. Maynard. Maynard. All right. <laughs> Man. Maynard. 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 There you go. He did it, everybody. Maynard. He said it right. <sighs> Maynard. <laughs> Born James Herbert Keenan to a Baptist family in Ravenna, Ohio, and he lived there until his junior year of high school. 
1986, his parents divorced and his father moved to Scottville, Michigan. James stayed behind, but later joined his father at the urging of his mother, who was experiencing a number of health problems. In 1982, he graduated from Mason County Central High School in Scottville, where he was a member of the wrestling team. And in actually in 2013, he would return to that school and help train the wrestlers for an upcoming match. Oh, shit. Uh, he actually paid for 16 of the wrestlers to attend a wrestling camp, but he required them to pen an essay about what wrestling means to them and why it was important to go to this camp. So, you know, it's pretty cool. So wrestling was and is a big part of his life, as evidenced by this video of him choking out a guy who jumped on stage mm -hmm. while still singing the entire time and not missing a note. Uh, well, the band's in the middle of the song, Push It, and a guy comes onto the stage and, like, does his hands over his head, like, yeah, I'm on the stage, and Maynard just, uh, does a hip check and then throws him right into a rear naked choke while <laughs> continuing the song and just absolutely chokes this man out on stage. <laughs> and then the guy's like got his hand in the air like, I'm rocking out, but I, there's no blood going to my brain. <laughs> yeah, and it just keeps going. Like, I think he's starting to tap out now. I just love that video. Yeah, it's a good time. It's a good song, too. So Keenan enlisted in 1982, and he did basic training in Oklahoma. He began serving in the Army as a forward observer before studying at West Point Prep School from 1983 to 1984, which is pretty amazing. So one of the interesting things is that the West Point Cadet Honor Code reads, a cadet will not lie, cheat, steal, or tolerate those who do, which is directly where Keenan got the chorus for Intolerant off of Undertow. Oh, shit, I had no idea. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, he decided that Army life wasn't for him, and he went back to Michigan where he joined the band Children of the Anachronistic Dynasty. Oh, boy. Yeah. And they recorded a demo called Fingernails, followed by an EP called Doghouse. They never did anything of note, but did give us this amazing video from 1987 where they performed on public access TV in Grand Rapids. All right, so I'm going to play a little bit of this and tell me if anything stands out to you. Oh, man, this is awesome. All right, give me a pause. All right, so Maynard's got like this like mullet hawk feathered thing with like long dangly earrings. The bass player looks like he should be in the Rick James band in like his white jumpsuit and his shirt unbuttoned to his belly button. He's playing one of those like Steinberger basses that don't have a headstock. Some of you know the ones. And then the guitar player just has like the pointiest 80s metal guitar you've ever seen. No one in this band looks like they should be in a band together. Like, no. How this came together, I have no idea. Yeah, this is sober. Wow, that's uh, that's terrible. That fucking sucks. <laughs> Everybody just looks super uncomfortable uh, doing what they're doing here. Yeah, man, it's wearing leggings and like Jesus sandals. <laughs> really? Like, before leggings were a thing. This is the hottest outfit at Coachella this year. <laughs> <laughs> and he's wearing it in 1987. 
So at this time, he also attended the Kendall College of Art and Design before setting his sights on Cambridge, Massachusetts to work at a pet store before finally moving to L.A. to work in yet another pet store. He explained in an interview, I ended up hooking up with somebody out here who had a line on some pet stores that I could get into and do my thing. I did a lot of interior work, rearranging and organizing stuff in the stores. I did layouts and that kind of stuff. So I moved out here to do that, and of course I got fired right away. Like, he had this vision for, like, designing pet stores, and it's like, we just need you to scoop up cat shit. Fucking throw out dead goldfish. That's all you need to do. <laughs> Dude, I used to work in a pet store. I never knew that. Yeah, for like a year and a half. There's this place in uh, the suburbs of Illinois called Allsip Nursery. There's one in Indiana, and there's one in Illinois. And, oh, like, wow. they sell, like, pools and Christmas trees, and they have, like, a nursery with, like, plants and shit. But they have a pet department. I saw some of the worst shit, dude. Oh, God, do I even want to know? Or fucking, yeah, do you, like, open the fridge once, and there's just a dead dog in Jesus there? Jesus Christ! Yeah, man. They got parvo and, like, died, so they had to wait and, like, get figure out how to dispose of it. So they stuck it in the fridge. I saw a pug whose, like, eyeball fell out. Good God! Uh, yeah, a fucking lizards would get out all the time and then she'd like run over in the warehouse by pallet jacks. One time, my fucking boss like got two ground, um, prairie dogs. You know what a prairie dog yeah. is? It looks like a squirrel without a tail. And like it escaped into one of them escaped into the warehouse. We didn't have like an exotic animal license, so we had no <laughs> business selling them. So like I had to go get it and it was under a pallet and I reached under there to grab it and I grabbed it around the body and it just started biting the shit out of me to the point where like dark red blood is squirting out of my hand and I'm refusing to let it go. So I'm just holding this fucking rodent that's covered in my blood. <laughs> Did you get to get a rabies shot after that? No, I just put a Band-Aid on. Christ. The other fun thing about working in the pet store is I was like fucking 17. So like when you get hungry, you just go over to the fucking treat section and they make like dog Oreos, but they're not made of chocolate because dogs can have chocolate. So it's something called carob, but they were just fucking Oreos. So we just like fucking rip open the dog Oreos. And <laughs> that was our snack. <laughs> How have you never told me this? I don't know. I'm not proud of it. It was, it was a rough fucking year. <laughs> a rough year oh oh god all right so where was i so mjk is gigging around la now working on sets and through a girlfriend he had at the time he meets adam jones the two musicians they bonded over over art and movies and music and soon they became really tight jones was impressed and after some pestering he got him to start a band with him and it's nothing serious it was just kind of like as an outlet so according to Maynard, it was a series of shit luck that made him eventually say yes. He's quoted saying, I ended up saying yes to it just because, you know, I wanted to fucking shout. I just wanted to let it all out. All the frustration of having been fired and I lost my apartment. My dog got run over. My girlfriend left. Car got repoed. You know, all that shit like within the space of a month. So I was ready to scream. So at this point, Tool could have either been a country band or this. Yeah, no shit. Now, there's also an entire story that runs parallel to this series of events involving a band who, at the time, was called Green Jello. And we will be breaking them down on next week's Mosh Pit because they truly deserve their own section. That's a really, really good idea. So surreptitiously, Danny Carey happened to live above Keenan, who is introduced to Jones by old high school friend and recent L.A. transplant Tom Morello. I told you we'd be seeing him again. Yep. Carrie never auditioned for Tool, 
Keenan and Jones would invite people over to play and they wouldn't show up, so Carrie felt bad and would fill in. Tool's lineup was completed when a friend of Jones introduced the members to bassist Demore, and with that, the original lineup of Tool was complete. So between August 28th and September 5th of 1991, the band recorded the demo 72826 and released in limited quantities later that same year. The numbers 72826 spell out Satan on a telephone keypad. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So as far as demos go that we listen to on this show, this one is exemplary. It's not fully cooked, but the bones are in place. Yeah, it's still so yeah. good. Oh my god! I don't know why they put that chorus effect on his vocal though. Like Maynard doesn't need yeah, shit and the bass up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they needed they needed the multi-tracker guitar behind it, and thus they did later. So yeah, in '92 they went on to release the EP "Opiate" on Zoo Recordings. It's six songs, seven if you're counting the hidden track, which was mandatory for all bands in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. It's good but we're still not quite there yet. They hit the road opening for the Rollins Band, Rage Against the Machine, White Zombie, and Fishbone before heading back into the studio in October 92, where they spent the next three months recording their first LP, Undertow. I love this album. Yeah, no, Undertow is great. Yeah, I mean, it's not as good as Anima, but it's great. Oh, yeah. It was my first exposure to Tool, like I'm guessing a lot of y'all, and namely through the videos Sober and Prison Sex, which is insane to think about. Prison Sex, it's one of my favorite Tool songs, and it was directed by Adam Jones. And if you're wondering what it looks like if you've never seen it, Wikipedia has a very spot on explanation, which I will now read to you. The video primarily revolves around a battered white humanoid, robotic-like doll figure trapped in a room full of cabinets that contain other humanoids, such as a caterpillar with the main humanoid's face, a jar with a wasp inside, a robotic character with a little child's face that twists and turns, and being made out of what looks like meat and feces. (laughs) During various points in the video, the main character is confronted by a larger black humanoid who causes the doll to go catatonic. While catatonic, the figure in black molests the doll with a paintbrush. In the beginning of the video, the black figure severs the doll's legs, even though they still move by themselves, and hangs them just out of reach of the doll. By the end of the video, the doll subjects itself to the abuse by painting itself. In the final shot, it is revealed that the doll was in its own cabinet the whole time, and the black figure closes the cabinet door. All right. Here's a sampling of the lyrics. I need this to make me whole, release in sodomy. Got your hands bound and your head down and your eyes closed. You look so precious now. I have found some kind of temporary sanity in this. Shit, blood and cum on my hands. I was 12. Yeah, fuck, dude. I was glued to MTV. So, of course, I saw this and it was presented to me by the two leading arbiters of culture at that time. Hey, I guess they are nipple, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, check out that black dude! Yeah. <laughs> He's gonna save the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Just said, wake up, honky. Wake up, honky. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Could you imagine being an exec at MTV, watching this and saying, yep, run it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Eventually, somebody came to their senses uh, because this video was pulled, but it was still nominated for a VMA in 1994. So amazing. uh, The album blew up and everybody I know owned it. Sober and prison sex were all over the radio, and as of 2020, Undertow has sold over 3 million copies in the United States and is certified triple platinum. After this, Damore left the band, and he's quoted saying, I wish it had been a better vehicle for me to create in, but it just wasn't. Their creative process is excruciating and tedious, and I guess I never felt the desire to play a riff 500 times before I can confirm that it's good. That's why it takes them eight years to write an album. He's not wrong. No, he's not. Uh, But this time around, it only took him three. So he's out, and bassist Justin Chancellor is in. Yeah, he was in a band called Peach. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Peach broke up, and uh, he was kind of on the fence, but thankfully he came in because he really completes the unit that we know as Tool today. Oh, for sure, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it really marks, like, a whole change in sound from what you're getting on Undertow. Yeah, I mean, I, I so Anima was the first Tool album that, like, I bought and, like, listened to all the way through. Yeah. Undertow, I didn't get into until after I already digested Anima. So, like, Justin Chancellor is, like, the only bass player I really know in Tool. So from September of 95 to March of 96, they spend recording their sophomore full length. For this, they got producer David Bottrell. And looking at his production credits, this is the guy that you want in the studio for a Tool album. He started his career working with Peter Gabriel, Robert Fripp, and King Crimson. King Crimson. <laughs> he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's done Coheed and Cambria, Circus Survive, Dream Theater, Between the Buried and Me. So, like, you know the vibes. Yeah, if you have fucking prog dork elements <laughs> in your in your alternative rock band, he's the guy. Yeah. He also did two Flaw albums. Huh. Yeah, not sure. All right. Yeah, not sure what's going on there, but I, I'm just shocked that Flaw could have afford him. I mean, Flaw was supposed to be huge. It just never happened because, you know, they were mostly terrible, but kind of racist. Duh. Yeah, just, you know, go in our back catalog. You'll find some stuff about Flaw. Yeah. Uh, so the album title itself refers to psychologist Carl Jung's own term for the soul, Anima. Throw in the alternate name for the anal douche, and you wind up with the heavily digested anima. (laughs) It's it's the same thing. It's a bad change. Cleaning out the house to refurbish or redecorate and start over, Keenan said in a 1996 interview. So that weird symbol, I never knew what that fucking symbol was. So I was like, all right, what the hell is this? It's called a ligature. Do you know that? No. So it's a combination of two letters, A and E, that are joined together to form a single character. Ligatures were commonly used in the Middle Ages to save space on manuscripts. Uh, They're still used in some languages, such as Danish, Norwegian, Icelandic. It's a pain in the ass to spell. It makes it very hard to search for this album sometimes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And everybody pronounces it different. So, like, if one word is anima, another word is enema, I've always gone with anima. Anima? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it has an official pronunciation. That's just what I've always called it. 
I oscillate between Enema and Anima. It's just kind of interchangeable. Doesn't matter. We all know what we're talking about here. Exactly. It's the one with Hooker with a penis on it. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So uh, let's talk about the cover. It was designed by Cam DeLeon, uh, and he's responsible for the covers on the Opiate EP and the Dick and Balls wrench that somehow we all got away with (laughs) with wearing in middle school. (laughs) How the fuck did we get away with that? Like, I didn't wear it, but I I mean, I remember people wearing it in like seventh grade. I wore it. And like at that point, I I didn't look at it and go, hey, Dick and Balls. But like as I'm researching this, like that's a Dick and Balls. How how did my parents be out of the house wearing that? (laughs) <laughs> so yeah he's worked on a number of other album covers including uh corn sepultura and fear factory so he's in that wheelhouse the version that most of us got it's a lenticular image that depicts a close-up of an eye and a lot of sources claim that the pupil is a human anus surrounded by a halo of light i can't th- find anything from de Leon. nah i never saw it it was just a cool lenticular eye that moved yeah exactly exactly So outside of the U.S., the animated CD came in limited qualities. The new cover is the static smoke box image, sometimes with the words Tool and Anima. The inside is a list of other albums by Tool, complete with 16 bogus covers for these albums. I will now read them to you. Perfect. Gay Rodeo. (laughs) Bad Breath. Two Wieners for Daddy. Mungy the Clown. The Christmas Album. I Smell Urine, Spring Boner, Three Fat Brown Fingers, Tetanus for Breakfast, Crab Steaks Smothered in Dictators, Iced Pea, Nurse Kite Mella's Kitchen, The Other White Meat, Just Up That Dirt Road, Tool Live at the Acropolis, Brown Magic and Big Appetites, Music from the Movie Soundtrack Jelly Donut, and finally, Bethlehem Abortion Clinic. I like how the cover of the other white meat just has two dolphins <laughs> on it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty great. And it also shows that Tool, while being very kind of deep, the sense of humor is that of a teenage boy. Like their secret track on Undertow mm-hmm. is track 69. And right. yeah, the, the humor here is always we're pulling one over on our fans and on the music industry yeah i would i would agree with that so anima is 15 tracks clocking in at 77 minutes 18 seconds and starts with a song about having a fist shoved up your ass stink fist i mean it's kind of about that right so the song uses the analogy of fisting also known as handballing or fist fucking It's a sexual practice with a rich history. In modern history, it rose to prominence in the 70s and early 80s. The most famous fisting club in the world was San Francisco's Catacombs. If you couldn't obtain a membership to the Catacombs, you could always go places like the Handball Express. Now, Nick, I know what you're probably thinking. That I hope that you were on incognito mode when you did these searches. (laughs) The common misconception is that fisting involves forcibly punching a clenched fist into the vagina or rectum. Now, that's that's all wrong. That's actually what is known as punching or punch fisting. The more commonly accepted use for fisting is a technique called the silent duck or duck billing. And it gets its name from the fact you shape your hand up to resemble a duck's beak. Fisties, who are more experienced, may take two fists, which are called double fisting, and... <laughs> The look you're giving me right now. 
I'm just letting you go. I'm just this is this is this is where, where Kevin does his does his thing. <laughs> The Wikipedia, by the way, you open it and it's just a fist up an ass, an actual picture <laughs> of a fist up someone's ass. It's fucking crazy. I was like, whoa, uh, <laughs> not expecting that. Um, yeah. All right. So back to the song. Uh, this is a perfect representation of the personality of Tool. And I love it. It's a it's a amazing, amazing lead off track. Yeah, it's great. In fact, um when the song aired, it was the first single from the record. Mm -hmm. MTV just called it track number one. Yeah. So there's lots of footage of like Matt Pinfield being like, uh, up next tool, track number one. And then he would like sniff his fist. Oh, I never knew that. The song is just so layered. It's one of, I think, my favorite lead off tracks of an album. When you ask about the meaning behind it in 96, MJK responded, it's about a guy named Stinkfist. He's a very good friend to daddy's. It's a tribute to him because he very much embraced life wholeheartedly, a go-getter. That's how he got the name Stinkfist, because he was the kind of guy who got his hands dirty. This is probably all bullshit. By and large, tool lyrics are left to the interpretation of the listener, and Googling Stinkfist meaning will prove that. The only sliver of sincerity I can think of is that Keenan would introduce the song during the anima tour as about choosing compassion over fear. So it's really, uh, as with all these, for the most part, it's going to be left up to your own interpretation. I want to talk real quick about the 245 mark of this song. Nick, do you know what I'm about to say? Uh, I don't know if I do. Go for it. I, I want everybody to listen closely here. All right, so did you notice him whispering in the background there? Uh, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Do you ever wonder about what he was saying? No, not at all. Okay, so I'm going to get this all wrong, but he's saying Chupa, Mina, Pika, Pichu. Chupa, Mina, Pika, Pinto. It's Portuguese. I dropped it into Google Translate. It comes out to suck my cock, suck my cock dick. Oh, perfect. So he got, you know, and that goes to show kind of how Tool is. This song just like, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up, you know? And then he's also getting off in Portuguese, suck my cock. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's why the uh, the Ford Pinto had to stop being sold. Really? In parts of Latin America, yeah, because like Pinto means like tiny wiener. <laughs> uh, Nick, you got anything else about Stinkfist you want to... Uh... No, I don't think so. It's awesome. It's got a great guitar riff. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, if you... It, yeah, it's it's a it's a perfect lead off yep. into the album, and it goes right into another banger, which is Eulogy. Mm -hmm. Danny Carey's percussion game on this is next level. Yeah, this is where he kind of introduced like Middle Eastern kind of drums yeah. into the tool like tool belt. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I know it's 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 amazing. Like when everything kind of kicks in together, there's like a weird beeping sound. I think that's coming from the guitar and these drums. And then when everything kicks into it, it just falls into this like amazing groove. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lyrically, Keenan is delivering a eulogy for an unnamed party. And if you want to speculate on who that may be, have fun wasting hours of your life on the tool Reddit. Oh, uh, no, I, I got this. Hit me. Yeah, this is an anti-Scientology song. Okay. All right. When he's saying he had a lot to say, he had a lot to nothing, not of nothing to say is almost certainly about L. Ron Hubbard. At one point in the song, Maynard sings war while some child might chill nine one two. Um, the church of Scientology 
had affiliated addresses at 912 New York Street in Redlands, California, and 912 Drew Street in Clearwater, Florida. Oh, wow. And then also, coincidentally, South Park Scientology episode Trapped in the Closet was uh, Season 9, Episode 12. So they may have been in on the joke, or it may be a coincidence, but seeing is later in this album, um, he has some things to say about L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, it appears that to me that this song is about him and the hoax that is uh, Scientology. Yep. And uh, yeah, if any Scientologists take issue with me calling it a hoax, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Fucking delete this show. No shit. Uh, yeah, okay. And I mean, a lot of that came up in the Reddit, and it really does track, especially considering in the 90s how big Scientology was in LA. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you for, I learned something new today. For sure. It's a sick song. Yeah. Like, it's, it's such a great one-two punch to start this It song. really is. One-two punch right in the butthole. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's punch fisting. It's a one-two duck Oh, sorry. It's a one-two yeah, I, duck I forgot bill. about the duck, duck bill. Yeah, this right. <laughs> Uh, this all leads into my favorite song on the album, H. The working title was Half Empty. So of all the Tool albums, this one is probably the most autobiographical. The song has been interpreted as being about Maynard's son being born, and I think that's a pretty spot-on observation. Maynard's first son, Devo H. Keenan, was born in- He named his son Devo. He did, yes. Can you imagine that? That made me be like, ah, oh, hey, Kevin, I'd love you to meet my newborn smashing pumpkin. <laughs> Come on, yeah, that kid. That kid never had a shot in a normal life. That kid. I wonder. I wonder where Devo Keenan is these days. So this part never ever fails to like. It, it just. I don't know. There's something about it that hits me so hard. just never fails to disappoint yeah it's like the chills and it really really lets us know like oh shit this guy's got a crazy ass voice yeah, exactly as i listen to this i found that i'm a person who enjoys the very loud very fast you know like like i'm not a very quiet music kind of person but this particular band i enjoy those quiet moments right before hell gets unleashed yeah i totally agree Hmm. Apparently, Devo Keenan is a like accomplished cellist. Uh, here's some filler. Useful idiot. Yeah, this one's lame. Uh, this is a joke that they put on the album specifically for the people that had the vinyl oh, really? version of the album because it sounds like the it, it's at the end. Hmm. It sounds like the record skipping. Like you go, oh shit, I got to flip the record over, but you don't yet. Ha -ha. Gotcha. Doesn't make any sense if you're listening to it on a CD or now in the future yeah. or on stream. The vinyl version did come out about a month before the CD. Yeah, it did. Next up is another banger, Forty Six and Two. It's their second single, and I don't know what the fuck they're singing about. I do. It's uh, one of the better known and weirdest songs in the album. Um, it does continue the theme of like incredible bass lines and Middle East drumming with sparse guitar work. And uh, yeah, it ends in like a really heavy crescendo. And the song is about like what the brain can be capable of with like extra chromosomes. And like, yeah, going back to the top of the episode, when you get cornered by a tool fan at a party, this. Yeah, yeah. that's where they're going with it. 
Yeah, they're going to tell you, oh, Jesus, this and then the last song. <laughs> Next up is probably the most interesting song on the album to me, if you want to even call it a song. Message to Harry Manback. And <laughs> I'm going to play this because it's fascinating. Now, go back to 96 and you're like listening to 46 and 2 and you're like, holy shit. And then this comes on. Do you want to tell the crowd what that is? Okay, so very very quickly, what this guy's saying, if you couldn't quite hear it, uh, there's uh, some that kind of goes into Italian. In English, he's saying, you think you're cool, right? When you kick people out of the house. I tell you this, one in three Americans is dying of cancer, you know? Asshole. You're going to be one of those. I didn't have the courage to kick your ass directly. Don't have enough courage for that. I could, you know? You know you're going to have another accident? You know I'm involved in black magic? Fuck you, die bastard. You think you're so cool? Asshole. And if I ever see your fucking face around in Europe or Italy, well, that time I'm going to kick your ass. Fuck you, fucking Americans, Yankee. You're going to die out of cancer. I promise. Deep in pain, no one did what you did to me. You want to know something? Fuck you. I want your balls smashed. Eat shit, bastard. Hope somebody in your family dies soon. <laughs> I hope somebody in your family dies soon is an underrated insult. That's not even an insult. That's a curse. Yeah, like next time, like some guy cuts me off on the fucking I-15, I'm just going to pull up to him and do the roll your window down. I'm just like, I hope somebody in your family <laughs> dies soon. <laughs> I'm just drive away. See, I would rather say, you know, I'm involved in black magic. <laughs> <laughs> either one either one works or uh you're gonna die of cancer yeah. i promise <laughs> Asshole, die. so this is an actual voice message on former green jello members gary helsingers who is also known as hotsy menshot great it was left right. yeah it was left on his answering machine the man in the recording was gary's roommate but Gary kicked him out of his apartment for stealing another roommate's belongings, and he did not take that well. So Gary was actually roommates with Maynard and Danny for a while. The man in this recording is Francesco Sonoyo, who didn't know about the song until the late 2010s. Whoa. Yeah. So he seems to have taken all his stride, though, and he even wrote a book about it called The Legend of Harry Manback. Gotta get your grift. Gotta in. get the grift. So according to him, Two future roommates, Jerry and Gary, invited me to Los Angeles in 1992. I crossed the Atlantic Ocean and the American continent to visit, but Jerry was not found in town. He left me in the clutches of Gary Helsinger, who, on a pretext, asked me, screaming, to find another place to stay. I got offended, and I went to the home of Mike Leahy, a horror movie producer. That message was recorded at Mike's house. So, there you have it. All right. The end of the whole book. Yeah, oh. that was, I mean, really, what else is there to say? Uh, hooker with a penis. <laughs> Shouldn't have Googled that. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I love this song. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. 
And that's what makes it feel different from the rest of the Tool songs out there. Well, yeah, it has more of a standard like rock approach. It's not all like mysterious. No, he's he's telling you a story. He wants his exact message conveyed. And this idea of having cred and and being a sellout or a poser. It's a very like Gen X 90s kind of uh, concept. You don't really hear about like now everybody sells out. You're like the only way I can make a living playing music is if like Chevy puts it in a commercial. Fucking turnstiles on a Taco Bell commercial and no one's even mad about it because like well fuck you. No one buys records anymore. So yeah, it's fuck. It, we gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, it's merch sales and fucking product placement. Yeah, and this song is about Maynard. I don't I don't know why it's called Hooker with a Penis. Maybe you do, but the song is a tale of Maynard on an airplane sitting next to a kid. Uh, who was an old school Tool fan, and he's basically being like, "I think you guys are selling out." Um, and it, this this song has one of my favorite verses ever, and that's when Maynard turns to the kid and says, "All you know about me is what I've sold you, dumb fuck. I sold out <laughs> long before you ever even heard my name. I sold my soul to make a record, dipshit, and then you bought one." Yeah, so good, so good. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's an interesting song in that there's not another one like this in Tool's catalog. Yeah. Nope. No, it's, it stands all by itself. Yeah. It's a, it's a great song, though. And it did feel very empowering at the time because even on our suburban level, we're worried about maintaining credibility and having, you know, like not being posers or sellouts. And here he is saying, like, fuck that and fuck you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think we all knew somebody like that kid in the airplane saying, like, oh, you sold out. And it just yeah, uh-huh. it felt very empowering. Right. Uh, next up is more filler intermission. It's just weird carny music. Yep, that's it. Uh, next up is Jimmy, and this was inspired by his mother's paralyzing cerebral aneurysm that occurred when Maynard Jimmy Keenan was only eleven. Yeah, yeah. It's just a reminder that his given name is James. He chose the name Maynard. Yeah. So the song Jimmy is about little Maynard. Yeah, exactly. Also, the Perfect Circle song Judith is about his mother mm-hmm. Judith. Yeah. So. He named a wine after her. He has a winery. Oh, I didn't know you named a wine after her. Mom, I'm sorry, but the song's not great. Yeah, it's not one of my favorites on on the album at all. Yeah. Next up is another joke track. This is Die Eier von Satan, and the song is in German, and it's performed by Marco Fox, who is a member of the band Zaum. And it sounds like a Hitler Youth rally, but it's actually... Yeah, yeah. absolutely designed to. Uh, It's a recipe for hashish cookies, and according to the tool forums, uh, the people who followed the directions as provided in the song, uh, apparently they taste okay. So go ahead and make them. Yeah, when he goes, un keiner eier, <laughs> it means like, and, and no eggs. Yeah. Should we play a clip so people know what the fuck yeah, we're talking about? Yeah, we should. About. We should. <laughs> Auf einigen fettes Backblech legen und bei 200 Grad 15 Minuten backen und keine Eier. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It is, but I can just imagine my parents walking by when I'm listening to that. Just... Yeah, I know for sure. Here's some more scatological humor. Push it or push. <laughs> push yeah. shit. But it's musically and emotionally a very heavy track. This is the track that they were playing live when he choked yeah, out that dude. It's a, a great song. I mean, it's not my favorite. It's not really anything I, you know, it's not the first one I'd go to. No, I like it. It's got, I mean, a really nice vocal performance. Yeah. But 
Yeah. I mean, it's it's about to get blown out of the water by my favorite song in the album here yeah. in a minute. So, but first we have to go through some filler in Cicero Some Ability. And it's my least favorite song on any album of yeah. all time. Oh, yeah. It's also a reminder of how insufferable Tool fans are. So I'm going to read from an old uh, GeoCities webpage that I found for Tool. Okay. Cicero summability is a mathematical method that determines the summability of a sequence when it is not summable by standard means. Basically, any infinite sequence either diverges on a constant or goes to infinity. To my mind, it sums up a fairly simple theory. I read some... Oh, fuck. I'm not doing it. Like... It's just like a screaming baby with, like, yeah, echoes. It's, oh, God, it's the worst. Next up is a banger and the title of the album, Anima. It's great. Yeah, it's my favorite song on the album. Um, I really, really enjoy this song a lot. I, I would put this kind of in league with Hooker with a Penis in that it is very much about, uh, you know exactly what it's about. There's no kind of, like, dancing around it. Yeah, well, and I didn't know what it was, like, influenced by until later. I thought it was so clever. So... The song's basically about how L.A. is terrible and that how Maynard hopes it just like there's an earthquake and it breaks <laughs> off and floats, sinks into the ocean. And he talks about like, well, when California has gone, I'll there's see you down in Arizona yeah. Bay because that's where we Cal- and like that's from a Bill Hicks mm-hmm. record called Arizona Bay. Like he literally like wrote a song about a joke that his favorite comedian made. Also, a uh, message to Harry Manback. Uh, Harry Manback is from a Bill Hicks uh, skit. Well, and when we're going to get in the third eye here in a little bit, the whole beginning is a Bill Hicks joke. That's one thing I probably also should have said about the album interior. There is a portrait of Bill Hicks who had died sometime prior. Uh, Bill Hicks, if you don't know, a legendary comedian. Uh, he died from cancer well before his time. Uh, if you've never heard him, go listen to a Dennis Leary album and imagine that, but good. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, that sounds about right. This is another one where he he takes a shot. You know, I mean, the chorus is like, it's a bullshit three-ring circus sideshow of freaks here in this hopeless fucking hole we call LA. The only way to fix is to flush it all away. But there's this great verse where he goes, fret for your figure and fret for your latte and fret for your lawsuit and fret for your hairpiece and fret for your Prozac and fret for your pilot and fret for your contract and fret for your car. It's a bullshit three-ring circus sideshow. And I was like... What does the pilot have to do about it? I had no idea that he's like literally just talking shit about actors and actresses and stuff. And he's like, worry about the pilot that you're shooting here in L.A. This lyric still blows my mind. He goes, some say a comet will fall from the sky, followed by meteor showers and tidal waves, followed by fault lines that cannot sit still, followed by millions of dumbfounded dipshits. (laughs) So good. So good. (laughs) A suggestion to keep you all occupied. Learn to swim. It's such, such an amazing song. The video is great. You know, it's another Adam Jones uh, special. So I may not be remembering this correctly, but in my brain, you know, when he took the CD out and it had the eyeball thing that moved, if you popped that out and turned the art under upside down and then closed it again, didn't it show California falling off of the United States? Let's find out. That's what my memory tells me. All right, here we go. Yep, there it is. And very yeah, cool. It's awesome. Love it. They really did put, and that's another thing I love about Tools, that they put a lot of thought and care into the art. I mean, obviously, Adam Jones is at the helm. They're not just going to, like, fuck around with that. All right, cool. Uh, next up, here's some bullshit in, in instrumental, you know, just Yeah, negative whatever. ions. It's literally some electricity sounds, and yeah, it kind of sucks. Yeah, exactly. 
And we close out the album with Third Eye, which, Nick, as you mentioned, kicks off with excerpts from a Bill Hicks routine. See, I think, I think drugs have done some good things for us. I really do. And if you don't believe drugs have done good things for us, do me a favor. Go home tonight, take all your albums, all your tapes, and all your CDs and burn them. Because you know what? The musicians who made all that great music that's enhanced your lives throughout the years... Real fucking high on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so just great. Yeah, it's a it's a super long song. It brings in the the third eye imagery, which uh, any Tool fan will talk to you about Ad, and ad nauseum. Draw pictures yeah. of and like how many have you have anybody else on this program or that listens to this program went to art school then you along with me saw some dipshit <laughs> that loves Tool that like every time you had to turn in a piece drew an eyeball. <laughs> To the point that, like, my, my, I had an art teacher in college that had, like, a no eyeball. No. It was like, just no more fucking eyes. Stop turning in eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, this, th- this song would kind of set the stage for things to come as far as future tool albums go. And honestly, like, after this album, I just kind of, like, tool took forever to release their follow up lateralis. Yeah. I just wasn't into them by then. Uh, see, I loved Lateralis, and I still do. I fell off after Lateralis, and they came up with like 10,000 Fists or something. <laughs> no, that, that was I a Disturbed like album. What's the fucking tool uh, 10,000 10, years? Oh, whatever. What's the difference? I just remember uh, actually tying it all together. When I worked at the Metro, there was a uh, poster in the bathroom. Uh, you know how they had like those urinal advertisements where like, yeah, 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 so they had one for Disturbed, and it was 10,000 fists and how these fists raise. And then somebody wrote marker wrote underneath it up my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds perfect. Uh, yeah. I just, it's, this was kind of my departure from the tool world uh, for a while. You know, Maynard kind of departed and did a perfect circle. And that I was super into. Yeah. We'll do, we'll cover that in one episode. Uh, it's just not funny. Like I got nothing funny no, to say about that album. Really. album. I, I yeah. love it. I love it so yeah, much. It's hard, it's hard to do the ones that are uh, that are good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so that is Anima. Nick? Yeah. A- a- any parting thoughts on this one? No, I, it's a great album. If you haven't listened to it in a while, go back and mm-hmm. listen. You know, it's got all that filler and those like skits and shit, but like the album itself stands. It's really good. It's, it's really well recorded. Um, the drumming is still next level. Just the band as a whole performs so well. Yeah. Have you ever seen Tool? What? Yes, uh, a couple times. As I related uh, a couple episodes ago, I saw Tool on this tour. Ah, yeah. yeah, that's right. I saw them on the Ladder Alice tour, but they played a lot of songs from this album. Uh, and it was in a big arena. And, you know, they had those weird, like, claymation figures brought to life walking around oh, the stage did. and shit. And it was like, all right, Maynard did the whole show behind a screen. So you only saw his shadow. He went through that yeah. phase. But uh, I did see them in Las Vegas in the Planet Hollywood Casinos like auditorium, which just feels so weird for a band like yeah. Tool. But it was an awesome show. Uh, that was probably six or seven years ago. Maynard uh, performed at the Welcome to Rockville Festival in Florida last week, uh, entirely in drag and uh, as a Fuck you you know, gesture against. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, last time I saw them, God, I was living in Chicago. And yeah, he, uh, Maynard played the entire set like hiding behind the drum riser. Which is just such a, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, I, I, I've been told like he's super shy and he doesn't like to see the crowd when he performs, but I just think, you know, he likes to do weird shit. You know, he used to come out. I mean, I guess he's bringing back the women's clothes thing. He used to do that all mm-hmm. the time. He would come out in lingerie yeah. and like the nineties. He's going to do whatever the hell he wants to do. And by this point, you should probably know what you're getting into. Do you got the, where are they now? Uh, I didn't really do a, where are they now? Because you already know where they are. Yeah, They put out a few more records. Uh, and Maynard owns a winery in Arizona where he makes pretty expensive wine. He has one called Judith named after his mom, but apparently it's pretty good. Um, I've never had it. I would drink it if someone gave me Yeah, it. if anybody wants to mail us some tool. Yeah, mail me some Maynard wine. We'll do a review on the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's really like the where are they now is kind of reserved for like when you're actually like, where the fuck are they? Yeah, yeah. Tool's still, you know, doing their thing. We did a piece a little bit ago, Danny Carey getting arrested in the Kansas City airport while wearing a Chiefs jersey after calling a security guard a track six or whatever. <laughs> I forgot about that. Holy shit. He got a charges got dropped, so he's all good. Good, 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 good. Uh, yeah, that's Tool. So, cool. Nick, what you been listening to? For those that are unfamiliar with Two Minutes to Late Night, I love it. Yeah. It is a, yeah, I mean, it's like an old podcast that doesn't really exist anymore, but they bring different artists together to cover other band stuff. Mm-hmm. And last week, they came out with a cover of Nerdy by Poison the Well. Um, Poison the Well is one of my favorite bands. I love them a lot. They put out an album in 1999 called The Opposite of December that completely influenced heavy music moving forward. I think it changed it mm-hmm. all. So I was just going to play part of Nerdy, but like go listen to it on your own. Just go listen to The Opposite of December by Poison the Well, especially if you're like at the gym or something. It's a fucking banger. Super aggressive vocals. But this cover that I'm going to play you um, features Maddie Watkins from Year of the Knife on vocals, and she's going from a... like a pretty clean approach. I'm going to play it through the chorus because the chorus is super pretty. And then it's got Jack from Foreign Hands, Nico from Knock Loose, Goose from the drummer from Better Lovers and Every Time I Die, and then Griffin from the Acacia String. Um, and uh, they recorded Maddie's vocals at uh, Kurt Ballou's God City uh, recording studio, Kurt from Converge. Um, but anyway, um, have you heard this yet, Kevin? Yeah, yeah. You sent it to me. It's awesome. Oh, I forgot that I did because it blew my mind. I was like, I'm going to send this to Kevin. Um, so let me go ahead and uh, do this.
anyway, that rules. Fuck yes, it does. It's so good. All right, over on my end, if you know me, it's no surprise that I have been listening to the new Therapy album. Didn't know there was a new one. Yeah, this band has been around since 1989. Uh, they are a three-piece from Ireland, and this is their 16th full-length studio album called Hard Cold Fire. I've been giving that a lot of spins. Uh, the song I'm going to play for you is Poundland of Hope and Glory. That's Poundland of Hope and Glory by Therapy. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I love that song. All right, so that's all we got for this week. Nick, do you want to know what the next full length we're going to be covering is? No, what's that? <laughs> I'm making an executive decision, sir. Okay. So I've been wanting to do this one since season one, and we're finally, finally going to do it. We're going to be talking about Slither by Earth Crisis. All right, it's happening. The Earth, Earth Crisis new metal album. <laughs> yes, I cannot wait. Amazing. Um, I have something that's left over from our last mosh pit that we need to talk about. Yes, yes, thank you. So, you guys heard my recap of Sick New World. And for those of you that listen to every episode of this show, you've heard me talk about Tommy Vexed before. The like right-wing, anti-vax, grifter, peddling in anti-Semitic conspiracy theories that used to be the lead singer of Bad Wolves. Um, during the Sick New World, I went to Whole Foods to buy groceries. And as I was walking out of Whole Foods... Tommy fucking vexed was sitting outside at a table, like having lunch. And I, I walked by with my girlfriend and I had to double. Uh, wait, no fucking way. It was like I saw a ghost and I was like, I swear to God, I saw Tommy vexed over there. And she like went back with her daughter and like pretended like she was taking a picture of her daughter so she could oh get a picture. And she came back and it's a hundred fucking percent Tommy vexed. He's wearing a shirt that says pure blood on it. And in the photo, <laughs> he's, he's talking to somebody and he's doing air quotes like he's explaining the truth. So we're going to do the official days of the new caption contest on our Instagram page. We're yes. going to post Tommy Vexed. And I want you to give me your best quote of whatever Tommy Vexed is saying to the person <laughs> in the picture. Uh, and whoever wins will fucking send something cool. I don't know what yet. I'll figure it out. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, Nick, where can they find us? Yeah, we're on Instagram at uh, days of the new D-A-Y-Z of the new and you. And we're not on Twitter anymore. I actually deactivated the account because fuck it over there. It's the bad place. Yep. Fuck them. Um, you can find me over on Instagram at Nick underscore the underscore knife. You can find me on Instagram at K-J-D-E-L-U-R-Y. 
All right, cool. We'll we'll uh, we'll see you next week uh, with a mosh pit on green jelly slash jello, Hello. and uh, then we'll uh, we'll be back with the Earth Crisis after that. So fuck yeah, we will stick with us. Uh, hope y'all are having a good summer. Later. Days of the New is a production of the Palm Springs '86. Fuck, I didn't think of something to do here. Mainyard was there. Mainyard was there. <laughs>